Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and he earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who had received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who'd received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I have earned two more. And the master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I did not plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Would you stand with me this morning? We are in a series called, What is the Church? And in this series, what we've been doing is we've been kind of looking at like, what takes place when we gather here as the church? What's happening? Uh, the very first week we looked at the importance of God's word. The second week we looked at why is, why is there preaching in the church? Why does that take place? Why does that even happen? Um, then we looked at baptism. If you've never been baptized before, we have a baptism Sunday coming up and I am pumped. We have over 12 people, I think, that are signed up already. This is going to be one of the greatest days for us to celebrate as a church as people are saying, I identify my life with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is such an exciting day. I get to baptize two of my, my own kids, and so that's um, going to be a very special moment for me. But if you've never been baptized, oh, that would be such a great day for you to do that. It's just a way to proclaim and, and align yourself with what God is doing last week. We took communion together and we looked at how this shared meal represents to us the life and death of Jesus and we remember it with intentionality. Today, I'm going to be honest, we're going to talk about a topic that is a very touchy topic in churches. We're going to talk about stewardship and generosity and giving. And then next week, we're going to look at community. Why when we gather together as the church, that's so important for us to develop those relationships. And then we're going to bring the series to a close the week after with looking at where to be people on mission. There is a world that surrounds us that needs Jesus Christ. And we are called to be a part of that. So would you uh, pray with me this morning as we invite God's presence and um, we ask him to speak to us through his word. Father, we come before you. Lord, <clears throat> We invite you into this place. We ask that you would speak to us powerfully through your word, that, God, you would challenge us, that, Lord, you would set us free through truth. And, God, we give you thanks, we give you honor, and we give you praise. In your name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Before you grab a seat, if you would turn to someone nearby you, let them know you are so pumped they're here, but then ask them what is the best gift they have ever been given. The best gift. And don't give the church the answer and say salvation. We know that's true. But what's the best gift you've ever been given? Best gift. Someone shout out. What was your favorite gift? Your horse. 
So you're that girl that like always dreamed for a pony and you actually got it. <laughs> I like it. Somebody else, best gift you've ever been given? PlayStation 2. What? Your child. Yes, that's a good one too. Anybody else? Something else? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Mine was a boom box. <laughs> it was Christmas Eve. All I had was cassette tapes. I had never owned a CD in my life, and the sequence of events looked something like this. Very first gift I got underneath the Christmas tree was a Michael W. Smith Go West young man, and I just dated myself. Um, it was a CD, <laughs> and I remember opening it up, and it was one of those moments, like, you know, as a kid, you're taught to, like, look grateful, but I'm sitting here, and I'm like, oh, thanks, and I'm, like, inwardly just sobbing. I don't have a CD player, you know. I just got this CD, and I don't have one, and I'm looking at this just like, be happy, Josh, be happy, you know. Like, two presents later, another CD, and I'm like, at this point, you've got to be kidding me. You know what I'm like? I'm like, how do these people, like, why would they do this? And I had no clue that, like, the gift that was going to be the awesomest gift was there was a boom box underneath the Christmas tree that allowed me to play the CDs. I've noticed something. The more we're grateful for a gift, the better we take care of it. Yes. Right? The more we are grateful for a gift, the better we take care of it. But when we're not grateful, we can tend to use and abuse it. I, I want to talk about just real quickly the elephant in the room. I got a picture to show you. I kid you not, I googled fattest elephant I could find, right? And I'm sure this is photoshopped. There's no way that that's real. If it is, Lord help the people who have to take care of that elephant, right? But let's deal with the elephant in the room real quick. All right, in church, if you're going to talk about money at all, it, it, this is a touchy subject. It's hard. And it's because people have been hurt. People have been burnt. People have been used. People have been abused. Um, this topic, I'll be honest with you, has often been mishandled by pastors and people in the church. There's televangelists that will get on TV and they try to sell some stuff that is just absolutely ridiculous. And so let me just apologize for all those people. And let me say to you also, you need to feel bad for them. Because someday they're going to stand before Jesus Christ. And James chapter 3 says that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And any preacher who has ever preached for their own financial game or, or anything like that, let me tell you what, there's going to be a reckoning before their Lord and Savior one day. So I, I, I apologize for any wounds that they have ever caused to you, but what I want to tell you too is that, listen to me, Jesus will have his way with them, okay? The elephant in the church is the fact, though, that to talk about money is tough for us because in truth, in our culture, we've made money an idol. We, we worship it. We serve it. It, it. You think about from the earliest age that we're children, one of the first things that we're taught is be successful, be successful, be successful. And it's something that we have, we've come to the place and kind of we've worshiped. So there are some in the church who have preached for profit and churches who have even abused that. But, but what I want to tell you is that that's not the vast majority. And that's why the last few weeks of teaching has been so important, we, giving us context the importance of God's word has to be held above everything else, okay? It's important for us to realize it's truthful, it's faithful, and then it's important for us to have biblical sound teaching. I'll be honest with you, my natural response is having no desire to talk about money at all. Like, I, I, there's zero desire, but there's a problem with that. And it's the fact that just as God has challenged pastors to realize, hey, there's a day you're going to be held accountable. I'm also held accountable to preach the whole course of God's word. Okay? So it's important. Our response is that there is a hesitancy. In fact, even sometimes when we hear the word money or giving, it's almost like a light switch turns off in our brain, and we kind of like zone out like till next week and the pastor moves on to the next topic. I really truly believe that God has a blessing in store for you today. I truly believe that if someone will grab hold of the truth of what we're talking about, you're going to find something astounding is going to take place. You're going to move from a place of bondage to freedom because that's what Scripture says, okay? So there's a weight that comes with this knowing that how I teach this matters and that I'm going to be judged. But I, I want you to realize, though, that God takes this topic pretty seriously, okay? I want to give you some very eye-opening stats Okay, over 2,000 verses in the Bible talk about money. 10% of all of God's word deals with money in one way or another. 
Jesus devoted roughly 25% of his words in the gospel to money. To the resources that God has entrusted us to our stewardship. This includes 28 different passages in the gospels. In the Old Testament and the New Testament combined, there's actually over 800 verses on the subject. Addressing things from planning and budgeting to saving and investing to debt and to tithing. In fact, furthermore, uh, Mark Driscoll says, money and wealth and possessions are among the greatest idols in our culture, and there's simply no way to be a disciple of Jesus apart from learning to worship God with our stewardship. Therefore, for me to avoid this, if 800 verses are dedicated to it, and if I were to avoid it and just choose not to talk about it because it's a little bit touchy, that would be criminal for me as a pastor. That would be a disservice to you. And those of you who have been in this church for any length of time, you know that this is not something that we, we harp on. This is not something that we talk on. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it sets us free, and this is one of the areas that it sets us free in. And so today we're going to talk about stewardship and generosity, because stewardship and generosity is the biblical precedent for how we're to view and to use money. Stewardship and generosity, it, stewardship is the mentality, generosity is the action, and how we live, and how we spend, and what we do with, our, with what God has entrusted to us, with our time, with our treasure, and with our talents. Can I tell you something? Do you remember from the verse this morning, it says that the kingdom of God is like this, it's like a master who entrusted his money to the care of three different servants and that he is returning and he will be demanding an account from it. And that is why this topic is so serious because God takes this topic seriously. And so let's dive in today. And, and I really do believe God has a lot to say to us this morning, but let's talk about stewardship from the very beginning. Okay, stewardship from the beginning. The Bible opens up in Genesis chapter 1 with these words. It says, and, and God spoke and it happened. First of all, can, I would love to have been there. Anybody else would have loved to have been there in that moment? God's like, let there be light. And pew, like light just explodes on the scene. That would be so cool as he's creating and he's shaping and he's forming. And what we see from Genesis chapter 1 is God speaks something into being and he forms it and he, and he makes it into creation. But in doing so, after he does each and every one of them, he ends by saying what? Anybody know? It is good, right? I love this. It's like God's just kind of like, he's looking and he's going, yeah, good job, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, like I, I, you know, he, he creates the earth. He creates the mountains. He gets to the Grand Canyon and he's just like, ooh, that was a really good one. I'm like dying to see the Grand Canyon. One of my life goals is I want to whitewater raft it. Because I'm like, if you're going to see the Grand Canyon, why not see it while on an adventure? Will that ever happen? Probably not. But it's on the list, right? <laughs> but he's doing this and he's going and he's speaking and he's creating and he's declaring it's good. But in doing so, he's also saying something very specific. When you create something, it's yours. God creates and he forms the earth and he, and he creates the animals. There's a few, I'm like, God, why? Mosquitoes, right? You're like, come on. And then there's just some that are just weird, like the anteater, right? You, you get there and you're like, God, what was, what was going on in that moment? What I love about this is God continues, and then he gets to mankind and he creates mankind. And he creates man, he creates humanity in his image to be like God, Okay? And what we find from this is that as God creates, he also owns. This is the first and most important truth we understand. Everything in all of creation is God's. He declares ownership over it. Everything finds its source. It finds its beginning. It finds its continuation in him. Everything he created is his and everything he created is good. Which brings us to the second truth. And that's that as he created humanity, he put us as stewards over it, not as owners stewards and not as owners. We're made in the image of God. We're made to be like God. We're given authority and power and stewardship and what, over what is God's and what has been entrusted to our care. And I, I love this. He goes to Adam and he's like, start naming the animals. That'd have been a fun job. Oh my goodness. I would have loved to have named some of those animals. <laughs> Can you imagine if you let like one of your children name the animals? 
They get to like some of the strange ones. <laughs> It'd be incredible. They get to the draft. They're like, we will call you long neck. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? It, it, would be, it would be phenomenal. But man, humanity was given authority, power, and stewardship over what was God's and had been entrusted to humanity's care. I want you to notice something. The first sin was rebellion against the lordship of God. It was moving from stewardship to ownership. It was saying, God, I reject your authority and rule in exchange for my authority and rule. My authority, my rule, my wants, my desires, my deservedness, my happiness, my rights, my wants. And the nature of temptation is that still happens today. The nature of temptation is there's still a whisper, you can be God. Adam and Eve are in the garden and they have access to everything but one thing. Anything's theirs. God's entrusted everything to their authority, everything to their care. And the serpent comes and he starts to tempt them and he's like, hey, why aren't you eating of that tree right there in the middle? And they're like, well, we can't. God told us we can't. We are not even supposed to touch it or, or we could die. And, and listen, listen carefully to the temptation. The serpent looks at him and he says, you won't die you'll be essentially gods. You don't have to live under authority anymore. It can all be yours. Man, that's, that's a problem for us still today, don't we? we it, it, it's, it's something that sucks us in. There, there's power to that temptation. And, and I want you to hear this. The, the, the echo of society is still the echo of that enemy today. If you fight for what you want, if you do what you want, if you take what you want, you'll be happy, more satisfied, and have more joy. <laughs> How's that working for us? <laughs> if I just get that new car, I will be so happy. If I just get that new house, if I just get that new thing, if I just get that new shirt, <laughs> if I get that new pair of shoes, if I get that new, like every commercial is that. Come, buy my product. You will lose 75 pounds in one week. First of all, why do we believe that? Second of all, I don't even want to know what that's going to do to my body. <laughs> if that pill is going to cause me to lose 75 pounds in one week, whoo, <laughs> we're going to be in some trouble, right? <laughs> like that, 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 that ain't healthy. That's dangerous. But, but we do, we buy into this if I can just have or do, then suddenly I'll, I'll be what I haven't had before. I'll be happy. Does it ever fulfill? No. We'll get happy for like, you know, five minutes. It's kind of like, I call it the French fry high, okay? <laughs> yeah, it's like that. It's the promise of McDonald's. You, you pass the golden arches and you're like, oh, I just saw a coupon for a dollar large fry. <laughs> yeah, I'll be happy afterwards, right? And you, you eat that whole fry, and you're happy for like five minutes, and then you're like, ugh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Why did I do that? Or, you know, it's like the bag of chips. You can't just eat just one. No, you can't. And you feel terrible afterwards too. Um, but listen to me. There's an echo of the voice of the enemy that if you fight for what you want, then you'll be satisfied. See, what the enemy is doing, he's, he's trying to frame God as withholding from them. But did you catch the story? God had given them everything. God had placed everything underneath their care and entrusted them. God wasn't holding out on them. God was blessing them. And then what the enemy convinced them was is that blessing wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough. When in reality, God had done that. And see, this is what happens when we get in the midst of all this. Th this is th what the ultimate, this, this comes from... Um, a friend of mine, his name is Greg Ford, and I, and I love this graph, okay? What we're going to find here is that the temptation that was inherent there is still the same temptation that is inherent for us today. It's what we find whenever we go into this, okay? And we're going to see it in from two different perspectives. We were created to be like God, okay? But the enemy wants us to be God-like, when I, what the difference between these two is 
This is how we were created. God said in the beginning that we were created in his image. He, was, he put his personality, he put his character, he's put his nature into us. This is the temptation of the enemy where it says, no, 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 we don't need, we don't need to trust him and to see that he's good and see that he's owner of everything. We need to be owner of everything. We need to have to possess. And I want you to notice, so, so first of all, this is what we find, okay? In regards to ownership, the correct perspective is realizing that it's all his. Everything that's been created is God's. Everything that has ever been made was formed by his hand, and he declares ownership, and he, and he gives to us from the perspective that we're to steward it. So, and then with that, what we find is that it's a gift, okay? What we have has been given to us as a gift from God, and what that does at the heart level is it makes us generous and thankful. The result ends up being freedom. When we place ourselves underneath God's authority and we say everything that he is in my life is his, it's been a gift from him to me. I'm thankful for it. And because of that, I will also give freely back to him and to other people. The result is we're freed. The result is the shackles of trying to always be satisfied is taken off of our wrist. And the end result is we declare with God, it is good. The problem is, is that whenever we go underneath this temptation, it's the opposite. It's mine. The things in my life, they've come from me, from my resources, and it's my possessions. What does that resort to? Gluttony. I need to have and have and have and have more. And that creates bondage. When it's mine, it didn't come from God. It come from my energy, my efforts, my desires, my ability. Therefore, it's my possession. No one can touch it. No one has any rights over it but me and me alone. But not only that, I have to have more. I have to. It's never enough. Doesn't matter how good it is, it's never, ever enough. That's the problem. So instead of us declaring it is good, we declare it's never enough. I want you to think about how many times we've been down that cycle in our lives. How many times that we've shifted into looking at things as like it's mine, it's my possession, it turns into gluttony, it turns into bondage, and it's never enough. I'm not going to ask you to name any names, but my guess is you know some people in your life that they don't own their possessions, their possessions own them. You know what I'm talking about? Like their identity is tied to the things that they own. Like if it were to be taken away, it would be almost like ripping their arm off. If there's things like that in our life that like if suddenly like if we were to potentially lose it, that suddenly our identity is tied to it, that's a huge problem, right? That's, a, that's an issue. And what's happened is we've bought into the lie of the enemy that we can be God. See, it was God's desire that humanity would reflect him in generosity, and it was Satan's desire that we would reflect Satan in his selfishness and pride. Satan in the garden, his attempt was to change Adam's heart to move from a mindset of grateful steward to selfish desire to own and possess everything. I'm Adam. I will be God. I will overthrow God. It's a move from God is good, owns everything, and has blessed me to I need everything. I need to be God. I deserve all this, and it's mine. I want to talk to you about the results of that mentality. I'm going to move through this quickly. It's really interesting. In the garden, God promised them, if you take of the tree, if you eat of it, what I've told you not to, that you will surely die. The wages of sin is death. I want you to notice something very interesting. The curse that comes from that is multifaceted. Number one, it said that there would now be like dissension between husband and wife. Second thing it talked about is that for, for Eve, 
like giving birth to children, like there would be pain and labor and that the children would even be in rebellion against. And then the curse for Adam was the fact that the ground now would produce thorns and would put a, watch this, this is so beautiful and so terrifying. Everything that they had had authority over now opposes them in the way they opposed God. Everything that they had been granted as having stewardship over that they now tried to possess for themselves, it counteracts towards them in the same way that they counteracted towards God. Have you noticed that sometimes that still happens in our lives? When we move into that category, how suddenly without even realizing it, like the things that are meant to be great in life start to oppose us. And even in what should be the happiest moments, we can be sad. Because what's happening, we're declaring it's never enough. It's never good enough. What happens is, is what we were intended to steward now opposes us. What was broken by sin, though, can be redeemed by the gospel. We believe in lives changed, storied, altered, and new creations. As we respond and we turn towards God and we submit ourselves, what we find is restoration can happen. See, the truth is this. Your perspective will determine your response. And there's four responses in regards to stewardship. And I I want us to walk through them. They're found um, in the following verses. Um, (laughs) I'm going to read to you here just briefly from Malachi chapter 3. The first response is that we can rob, okay? Malachi writes this. He says, since the days of your ancestors, you have turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. This is God speaking. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Yet you ask, how can we return? God's response to him is this. He says, well, a man rob God, yet you're robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? God responds, by not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions, you are suffering under a curse, yet you and the whole nation are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. Please hear me, church. Jesus says, test me in this way. This is the only time in scripture God ever says to test him. The only time. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven, pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so it will not ruin the produce of your land and the vine in your field, and will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate, for you'll be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. So uh, I want you to think about our own personal perspectives in these four things, okay? Robbed, abused, neglected, and cared for. If someone entrusts something to you, these are four possible responses that you can have (laughs) with what you do with their resources. Anybody in this room ever been robbed before? Right? That's a terrible feeling. Um, I had a collection of books that were very, very dear to me, and someone decided they wanted to borrow them. I'm still waiting for them back. Right? There, I, I remember when my car was broken into, and luckily I was a poor college student, <laughs> so there wasn't much they could take. <laughs> they got a couple screwdrivers, I think a socket wrench set, and my hoodie. Now, I'm still mad about the hoodie. Um, <laughs> but, like, my whole car, like, everything was torn apart and rummaged through, and I, I actually kind of laughed for a second. I was like, <laughs> you chose the wrong car. <laughs> I was like, I had nothing of value. <laughs> but, like, that's a terrible feeling. Right? If someone takes something that was rightfully yours, if you lent something to someone and entrusted it in their care, and then they flat out, not only do they take it from you, but then they declare it as their own. I remember in art class, um, I, I drew something, and like a friend of mine was like, hey, can I see that? I want to kind of make something like that. Drew the same thing, ripped mine up, and threw it in the trash so that the teacher thought that that original one was from him. Ooh, anger. I was like, you know what I mean? Like, like there's, like, honestly, but that's a response that sometimes we, and that's what God convicts the people of in Malachi chapter three. He says, I've given you everything, every blessing, and you've withheld from me. He said, you've robbed me. That's one response. The second is abused. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's about to get gross. Okay. I tell this story. (laughs) It's true. Hello? There we go. Wow. Sound guy's like, nope, we don't want to hear that story. 
<laughs> right? Now, back in the day, before I had children, I actually had a life. Um, I, I used to play Madden on, like, video games. I was, I was into it, and I had lit my Xbox controller to someone who will not be named because they might listen to this podcast, and I'm not going to throw them under the bus. I really want to, but I'm not going to. And they gave my Xbox controller back to me. I don't have an Xbox anymore because I have no time. But they gave it back to me, and I, I picked it up for the first time, and I went to play, and I looked down, and there was a bloody booger on my Xbox controller. You want to talk about the most grossed out moment? Like, I threw the controller on the ground, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Instantly, I call them up, and I'm like, excuse me? I'm like, I lent you my controller for a week, and you give it back to me with a wiped bloody booger on it. And he goes, oh, no, man, that's salsa, right? And I was like, even if it was salsa, right? Like, but, but it was abused, right? <laughs> it, my, my remote was abused, okay? I'm just being honest. But, but when, when, when we lend someone to something and it's ours and it's not theirs, that gift can be abused. True, Right? In Matthew 18, Jesus tells the parable of an unforgiving servant. And it's a man who basically owned, owed the master millions of dollars, millions. And the master, he comes before him and he's like, there's no way I can pay you back. I've made so many mistakes. Please, please, I beg you, please forgive me. And the master clears his debts entirely. And he walks out of the king's chambers and he goes out and he comes up to another person who owes him five bucks. and says, give me my money now. And the guy goes, I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't have it now. Please give me time. I'll raise it. I'll somehow. And he goes, no, no, no. Throw that person into the dungeons because they can't pay me back. <laughs> what do you think happens when the word gets to the king who just forgave the previous guy of millions? Right? The king's irate because he just abused the gift that was given to him. It can be neglected. We just read from Matthew chapter 25 today, the parable of the talents. There's the servant that had five. And it says that the master gave to each one of them based on what they could do with it. Okay? So the person who had five was able to turn it into ten. And the person who had two was able to turn it into four. The person who had one had the ability to turn it into two. But instead, they completely neglected it. They didn't do anything with it. It says when the master returned, he asked for an account because it was his possession. To the ones who took it and were faithful stewards of it. I love this. The heart of the king comes out and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's have a celebration together. Let's throw a party. Throw some ribs on the grill, right? <laughs> it's a good day. The king's up there and he's flipping steaks, right? But to the one who neglected it, there's judgment. Imagine it this way. Maybe this is a different illustration. Imagine out of nowhere you get called and you have to leave your house for like three years to go to another country and you ask someone to take the place and live in your house and to take care of it. But instead, they do absolutely nothing. They don't mow it once. They do zero house repairs. They do nothing. In fact, the house just continues to deteriorate. When you come back, it's a squalor that raccoons are living on your couch. <laughs> right? Let me ask you a question. You as the master of the home, how do you feel about the neglect? Angry, right? But then there's cared for. Cared for is the last response. This is the one that Jesus applauds. He says, I've given you everything. I love this. He, he comes to the one who had five and who turned it in and who had stewarded those resources carefully. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's celebrate. My parents, <coughs> they taught me well to care for what's not mine, especially been entrusted to us. Um, we went recently on a vacation, and they lent us their car to drive on vacation. Now, had they not already gotten an oil change, I would have got the oil change for them right whenever I came back. But they, being the stubborn people that they are, they knew I would do that. So they got the oil change beforehand. <laughs> but what I did afterwards is I intentionally went through and I detailed that car. Got the armor all wipes out. I mean, I vacuumed it like crazy. I cleaned it as best as possible. I got the Q-tips out, people. 
You know what I'm talking about? You're in like the little vent grates and I'm like, you know, getting, the, getting anything that I possibly can out because something had been entrusted to me that I, it was not mine. I didn't deserve it. I didn't own it. And they had let me drive it all the way on vacation. I did everything that I could to make that car. I mean, took it through a car wash and then I put all the gas back in it. So it was completely, whenever I drove it back to their house, I tried to make it look as brand new as I possibly can because I realized it wasn't mine. It had been very carefully entrusted to my care. Now, I did that now. They also lent it to me as a teenager. That's a different story. <laughs> we had a Ford Taurus. Let me tell you what, that thing did not come back the same. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. If someone takes care of your property well, what do you naturally want to do? Entrust them with more, right? See, there's four responses in each of these. The problem is this. When we rob, when we abuse, and when we neglect, we're moving into this category. It's mine, so I rob. I neglect it because it doesn't matter. See, what we're, we're being challenged with here is the fact that stewardship and generosity is so vitally important. And God cares about our responses to how we are stewarding what he has given us. The first three of those, they will move us from anger to rage, but the last one we put blessing, honor, and we trust that person with even more. The stewardship and generosity of God's people is what resources the local church. It is through the generosity of God's people that God's kingdom continues to expand. He doesn't have to do it that way. He chooses to do it that way. And the reason he does so is because he wants to bless you. Do you remember the end of the story? The one who had five and the one who had two they walk off with a double portion, being trusted with even more responsibility, with more care, because they've proven themselves faithful. God's plan, the local church is God's answer to a broken world. Let me say that again. The local church is God's answer to a broken world. In the kingdom of God, it is his plan to supply to and to supply through his, old, through his people. In the Old Testament, it looked like the tithe. The tithe was the first 10% of all of your resources, the best of. Leviticus 27.30 describes that. It says that a tenth of the land, of the produce of the animals that was underneath your care was to be set apart to the Lord as holy. It was to be set apart to be used as a gift of worship. This was more than just a gift. It was them saying, God, I'm worshiping for you who you are, that I don't even deserve this, but you've given to me so faithfully, and so generously, people would come to the tabernacle, the temple, and eventually the synagogue with their offerings. It would supply the temple, the priests, and the temple workers. It benefited the communities. They cared for orphans and for widows. The purpose of the tithe was to be a reminder to God's people that all that they had was God's and they were stewards of it. And to be a response as an attitude of worship that revealed their love for God. And it would be God's way to resource the church. In the New Testament, it's generosity. The gospel is designed to change our heart. I love this. The New Testament, as the church expands and as it grows, it talks about people who literally, they would sell fields and give the money to the poor. You see, in their day and time, orphans and widows, it was in a worse state than even like homelessness today. There was no way and no chance to improve your situation. And the church was one of the few entities that would come alongside, that would support and wrap their arms around those who were undervalued, those who were broken, and they would say, we will stand by your side. Can I tell you something? The church still does that to this day. Right now, because of the church, I mean the church at large, there's wells being dug in Africa. Right now, if you remember correctly, like the Ebola crisis and almost every single plague that the world has seen for the last 2,000 years, you know who the first people are that run to the rescue? The church. Right now in Haiti, when they had that earthquake, there's an organization through the Assemblies of God called Convoy of Hope. You know that Convoy of Hope are boots on the ground. Any world disaster, and especially any disaster even in America, it's practically the hurricane hasn't even hit, and there's convoy of trucks there that are sitting and waiting with water and resources and blankets, all because of the donating of God's people resourced together to put their arms and feet of Jesus on the ground. You see, the stewardship and generosity of God's people is what resources the local church, but also is what touches the world. 
It creates an opportunity for worship as we give our best that reflects our heart because God is after your heart. It's your heart that matters. So I get asked this question often. What does the tithe do? I want to get very practical. <coughs> as a pastor, it's one of the number one questions. When I give to the church, what's happening? What's it going to? Um, I'll give you just a brief example. What it costs just to even for us be in this building. You at your house, you have a water bill, a sewage bill, trash, electric. The church does too. Every single week, whenever we give and we pull our resources together, you're paying for the fire alarm service. You're paying for the fact for us to be able to have water in our bathrooms. Can we just give God praise when we flush the toilet that water comes out? <laughs> That's a good thing. Or even better, that there's toilet paper on the roll. Right? <laughs> Praise the Lord, right? Because like, that's a bad day if you show up at church and say, like, well, <laughs> we got an issue. <laughs> I didn't realize today was bring your own paper day. <laughs> it pays for trash bags, cleaning supplies, pays for funeral dinners, pays for meals where we take them to people who have, like, gone through loss or maybe, like, um, are experiencing something going on in their life um, through care packages, through benevolence. Whenever we have a meal, whenever we have a party here, whenever we do things, the cups, the plates. How many of you in this room have ever gotten a brownie from this church? Yeah, right? That's a good day. <laughs> Double chocolate chip brownies or cookies coming through. That's good. If this is your first time ever here, you got something to look forward to. If you give us your information, you'll get a brownie or a cookie. I'm just saying. It's up to you. Um, <laughs> it pays for those different things. It pays for Bibles that we give to our students as they go into the second grade and the sixth grade. It pays for books that we give to parents who are dedicating their children. We've got some child dedications coming up and we give them a book about spiritual parenting and how to do that and make their home a place where, where kids are discipled to know Christ. It pays for last week when we have communion and we do the elements and we have the supplies. Be honest, it pays, for part of my, it pays for my salary, and it allows me to dedicate my time to this church. I want to tell you a quick story. Two weeks ago, I was in the middle of a phone call that I was doing into a meeting at the Muncie campus. And out of nowhere, I hear the front door open, and I thought it was JB, who's our facilities director, who's going to come up and be checking the air conditioning. But I was like, I think he's actually in the meeting I'm on right now. <laughs> I'm like, this is kind of a problem. I turn the corner and there's a gentleman there and his shirt and his pants are completely covered in oil. And his face is tears just streaming down it. And he goes, I don't know if I came to the right place. And I said, sir, I think you did. He goes, I, I need help. I said, please come, come have a seat on my couch. Quickly end the call. <laughs> I sit down and I start talking to this man who had just minutes before got up and left his job because he was struggling with depression and thoughts of suicide. And he was just driving by and he happened to see glad tidings and it said church and he pulled into our parking lot. For the next hour and 45 minutes, I had a chance to sit here and talk to this man and walk him through as he's dealing with some of the stuff that like most of us in our life, we couldn't even possibly imagine. He's currently fighting a massive alcohol addiction and he's sitting there and he's weeping on my couch and I had the chance to be the hands and feet of Jesus to him. I got to pray with him. I got to spend time showing him what it looks like for Jesus to be in the room. I wish I could say that that's like the rarity, but in truth that happens pretty often. See, the truth is that whenever we give, whenever we're giving to the church, we're making ministry possible to not just the people in this room, listen to me. I'm doing, I, I promise you, I, as your pastor, I want to be the best steward of your resources that I ever can. Me and my wife, every single week, we scrub the toilet seats, us two. We don't pay to have somebody else come in and do it. We do it because we want to be the best stewards of the money we possibly can. But the truth of the matter is, is that whenever you give to the church, it allows ministry to extend beyond these four walls. I love it. Just a couple weeks ago, our women of the church, they rallied together and they gave like the greatest care package I've ever seen. Like whenever we, I told you this a couple weeks ago, we took it to the, <laughs> we took it to the hospital. They didn't have enough stuff to bring it in. They had to bring wheelchairs out to put the supplies in to take it into the hospital. 
They're still giving stuff out in the hospital from what you guys were able to give. That's what generosity does. Listen to me. There's people in that, in that hospital who had never heard the name of Glad Tidings before, but now in their mind they go, there's a church that loves this community. There's people who care about what Jesus is about. And so as I'm going through the hospital and I'm praying for different patients, like every Tuesday I go to the hospital and I serve as like a chaplain. And I meet with some of the people that are there that are nurses and doctors. There's been times where they pulled me aside and they're like, hey, I, I know you're here to pray for the patients, but can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? You see, that's what happens. See, the truth is this. We are responsible for what's been trusted to us. The parable of the talents tells us this. It says, God did not compare the servants. He did not say to the one who had two, why didn't you make five? Do you notice his response is exactly the same? To the one who had five, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I will trust you with more. To the one who had two and who had made it four, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. I will trust you with more. He said he gave to each one of them based upon dividing it to the proportion of their abilities. They were applauded with what they did with what they had. That's so important. I'll give you an example of this. Um, <coughs> I fell in love early in life. Um, I, I think I asked my wife to marry, her, marry me when I was 18. I was still pretty young. That also means I was poor. <laughs> So when I knew that I wanted to ask her to marry me, I also knew that there was no way I could do it where I was living. So I came home to live with mom and dad again <laughs> for a summer. Because I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put my nose to the grindstone and I'm going to work my butt off so that I can buy an engagement ring. Worked all summer long, third shift at a Target unloading trucks, getting hit in the face with boxes, things flying at me, cutting myself up with box cutters. Would go in at like 10 p.m., get off at like anywhere from... 6 to 10 a.m. sometimes working over because and the reason I chose that shift it was a dollar fifty more per hour because of the shift differential because you're staying up all night and I'm like that'll help me save faster <laughs> so I worked all summer long I mean I was busting it working sun up sundown like crazy trying to like it and, and so the day came and my dad had a connection he knew a guy from the insurance industry so I was able to go and actually pick the actual diamond I wanted not the ring but the diamond now here's the thing I gave my wife a ring, and it was not the greatest ring that has ever been made. But it was the best that I could do. It was the best that I could do with the resources that I had. Now, here, just hear me out. Listen to me. I could have went to La Palma, to those little, like, the 25-cent machines. You know what I'm talking about, right? When you walk in, and they got, like, the little, like, fling. And the li hear me out. <laughs> hear me out. Don't be judging just yet. Goodness, settle down. <laughs> I could have went to La Palma, dropped a quarter in, and got one of those 25-cent rings, and it would have been the exact same object. It would have been a ring. But it would also said something about my heart. Now, I could not give her the greatest ring that the world has ever seen. <laughs> Far from it. <laughs> but I gave her the best that I could. God's entrusted us with so much. Listen to me. Do not compare yourself to someone else. God's not comparing you with someone else. But he is asking, what are you doing with what he's entrusted to you? Okay? You are responsible for what you've been entrusted with. And the question is, with you, what you've been entrusted with, are you realizing it's God's, that it's a gift, that he was generous towards you? Are you giving out in generosity to and finding freedom and feeling contentment? Listen to me. Some of you in this room, this is the, this is the best part of the sermon. I'm going to rush through it because I'm already preaching long. Some of you, your whole life has been discontent. There's a bondage that holds you down where you feel like it's never, ever, ever enough. I'm preaching today freedom for you. Because if we will move from this to this, this is where contentment lies. As we realize it's all God's, as we're so thankful for what he's given, and as we freely give back to the church and to others, listen to me, that's where contentment rests. There is a blessing that follows stewardship and generosity. Blessing has to follow it. 
because God's word declares it. Let me tell you a little bit about this blessing. This is the part of the message I get really excited about. Number one, it blesses the church. When you give to the church, listen to me. I want you to just look down where you're sitting right now. You're sitting here today because faithful people came before you. They gave of their blessings and they gave back to the church so that the chair you're sitting on, it could house you. There was someone somewhere who was praying and they said, God, I pray that my gift, that someone who's hurting, who's lost and who's broken, that they will come into this place. And I pray that they will sit in that chair and they will hear the good news of Jesus Christ and that they will turn their entire life around, that their life would be changed radically from the inside out. This room that you're sitting in, it didn't always look this way. These walls used to be yellow. <laughs> right here, there was a wall. And we came in here whenever it was on construction. There's two by fours laying on the ground. And there's a group of people that are sitting in this room even right now that they circled this place with prayer. I remember that night vividly. That wasn't a word. I just added vividly, vividly. I added a B to it. All right. They circled this place and they prayed for you and me that God's presence would rest here. And they gave. Listen to me. So whenever you give to the church, it blesses the church and the, and the people who come. But listen, it also blesses the person. We talked about the hospital care drop. We talked about the fact that even during COVID, we were giving meals like crazy to people who couldn't get outside their houses. We've delivered groceries to people. We've provided meals for people who've had funeral dinners. But listen to me. This is, the, this is incredible. There's also a blessing echo. There's a bounce back. Oh, this, if we would grab hold of this, this is so true. It creates in us a new perspective. When we give freely out of what God has already given to us, it creates a new perspective. It's an opportunity to see differently. We become more aware whenever we are invested in something. Stephen Furtick says it this way, it's hard to appreciate the value of something you haven't invested in. But when you do, suddenly it's like your eyes are open. I used a story a week ago about how like, I had bought a Ford Escape that was green. I had never seen one on the road before until I got behind the one I just bought and suddenly they were everywhere. <laughs> right? I was like, I'd never seen one before. <laughs> but my eyes were opened because I'd invested in it. There's a blessing because when you give to God, it creates an open window for you to see differently. It creates an opportunity for you also to witness the impossible. During COVID, I want you to think back to your most discouraging day during COVID. Everything was closed down. I was preaching a series to teenagers about being courageous in tough times. And I remember coming home one day and I'm sitting in my chair and it was late at night and I was about to go to bed. And I remembered hearing from my son and my daughter some questions and worried about like, what's it gonna do to our family? Like, what if one of us get it? And like, there's this fear. And I remember I was so frustrated and so angry as a dad and as a pastor, as I'm sitting here and I'm like, fear is engulfing my house. Remember those days? You know what I'm talking about? And I remember praying, God, what can we do? And the Holy Spirit just kind of whispered to me, now is the greatest opportunity ever given to be a light. We started looking for ways. Um, <laughs> you guys remember the toilet paper crisis? You know what I mean? When people lost their minds, right? There wasn't a single roll of toilet paper in the store anywhere, right? We went to the store and we raided it and we got like the last bits that they had and we created care packages that included toilet paper, antibacterial, like the Purell stuff, some bars of soap, and like just some like little things. And we're like, okay, God, we're going to take our kids and we're going to just go drop this off at people's houses that we don't know. We send my kid up. Jason runs up to the door and he just knocks on the door, right? And it, can you imagine that it's COVID? So for you don't want anybody knocking on your door to begin with anyways. But there's this little kid who's holding toilet paper. <laughs> right? I loved it. Listen to me, because this is what happened. As we were a blessing it opened our window to see the miraculous. I saw a part of my kid's hearts grow in a way he had never before. I watched his neighbors who he had never talked to suddenly like that 
someone sent us a, a snapshot of what they had posted on Facebook saying, I'm sitting here typing this in tears because today I was greeted by a little boy with a smile on his face in a time where everyone's terrified, in a time where everyone's hoarding, in a time when everyone's going, no, 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 it's my toilet paper. <laughs> I will give it to no one, right? Like, that's the beauty of it. It was a time where that meant more than ever before. But because of the fact that we were giving freely, we were saying, no, 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 it's God's, it's good, and I'm content, and he's going to take care of me. Listen to me. It allowed me to see something I was not able to see before. I witnessed the hearts of my children open up in a time when everyone else's were being closed by fear. See, it's the same thing with like a seed, You can take a packet of seeds. A seed doesn't always become a plant. It cannot become a plant if it's never planted. It costs me something to plant it, but when it's grown, it gives me far more. I can take one little seed packet and I can get a harvest from it, sometimes a hundredfold. Jesus references this. There's many in this this place that there's many in our world that do not give because they're afraid of having too little. Mother Teresa said it this way, no one has ever become poor by giving. That's a spiritual principle. The fact is, we often become poor by getting, taking and demanding. True fact. You know the almost number one way to guarantee that you will end up poor? Win the lottery. Do just a little bit of research today. Go online. Go see the stories of the people who have won it. The average is that within five to seven years, they are completely more broke than they were before they won it. It's a true fact. See, faithfulness as we're stewards of what God has given us creates opportunity for multiplication, not addition. Imagine this perspective from the farmer. Imagine the farmer goes out and he's like, okay, I've got this seed packet, so I'm gonna, I own all the land in Blackford County, right? And I'm going to plant this one seed in the ground, just this one, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to harvest from it. And then the day comes and he comes out there, and then that farmer's ticked off for the fact that he's got one corn stalk. And he's mad at everyone. How, how could this be? I own all this land. Why am I not harvesting more? But why is he not harvesting more? He only planted one seed. But to the harvester, but to the planter who takes and sows the seed, gives out everything that they have and puts it into the ground, what happens? Ooh. Imagine that same person if they harvested all the entire county. You will sow, you will reap what you sow. If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. There's a blessing that comes with this. Giving creates the opportunity for blessing to take place. There are many who are weak, anemic, and scrawny in their faith and in their blessing and in their relationships with God because when it comes to giving, their heart is completely closed off. Generosity unshackles us from constant discontent. If I have the God-like perspective, if I see everything as mine and I need more and more and more because it will never satisfy me, I will feel so constantly discontented and unsatisfied. But if I am like God, it reminds me of how blessed I am, how thankful I am, how grateful I am, how honored it is to be a blessing back to God. The result is joy and contentment, not exhaustion. If selfishness is your perspective, your finances will become a prison to confine you. But in generosity, it becomes a tool to unlock blessing. I'm going to close with this. I know I went long today. I want you to know why God blesses it. Number one, it's his honor to bless it. When you build God's house, he will build yours too. Matthew 6, says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Secondly, the church. You know how the New Testament describes the church. It calls it the body and the bride of Christ. You want to get my attention? Treat my bride well. You want to get my anger? 
mess with my wife. <laughs> think I'm joking. I'm not. You can make fun of me. I've been cussed out. I've been everything. You can do it all day. And I've got pretty thick skin. I can sit there and go, okay, yell at me, whatever, spit on me. I've been spit on before. I've had some people tell me I'm the worst person ever alive. That's fine. Go for it. But <laughs> you say something against my wife, and there's a different switch that clicks on. The church is the bride of Christ. As you give to God, as you give back to him, listen to me, it's his honor to bring blessing back to you. It's his honor. God blesses it because it reflects him and it brings him glory. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's his mission, and that's the mission of the church. And when we give to that mission, it reveals we care about what God cares about. And then it also reveals spiritual maturity. Generosity is one of the greatest signs of maturity. And I know you believe this because you believe it in your children. No one applauds Timmy when he hits Sally because she took his toy. No one sits there, no, listen, we teach sharing, we teach generosity, we teach our kids how to deal with it, and we applaud them, and we know that they're starting to mature when they show generosity and they care for other people. I love this. My daughter has a, such an amazing, generous heart. She's got that from, from her mom. And we'll go to the store, and I'll, I'll be like, all right, babe, it's just you and dad day. You can have whatever you want, candy-wise. Because <laughs> I ain't stupid. I ain't taking her to the toy aisle. I know what those prices are. I'm like, you kidding me? Nope, we stay in clear of that area. But we go there, right? And, and she's, she's like looking at all the candy, right? And this I love. She'll pick up a sucker and then she'll look back at me and she goes, Dad, can I buy three? Because I want to give one to Jason and I want to give one to Calvin. I'm like, you don't have to. She goes, no, but I want to. Man, Dad's heart. I'm like, you got it, girl. You've caught the vision of it. Listen, It reveals spiritual maturity. We believe this in relationships. We believe it in marriage. Where there is generosity and love and sacrifice, there's deepness to that love. Please hear me today. God's after your heart, not your wallet. It just so happens that oftentimes we've connected our wallet to our heart. Timothy Keller says it this way. If we do not have a heart to be generous, we've never understood the gospel. <clears throat> I was talking to another pastor about this message and he's like you should take the the offering at the end <laughs> and I looked at him and I said no absolutely not because I never have a single desire for anyone in this room to ever once give to this church out of guilt because the blessing will be robbed from you zero desire the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver right Imagine I gave that, that ring to my wife the first time, and I was like, here you go, babe. That, room, that ring cost me a lot. Like, I could have bought like, other things with it. Like, uh, I hope you like it, because if you don't, I mean, I can still take it back. I got it under warranty. Like, there's still an exchange process, but like, if you want to keep it, you can. But like, I could make, you know, suddenly, guess what? That's robbed all the joy out of it, right? God has zero desire for you to ever, ever give going, ah! Oh! God loves a hilarious giver, a cheerful giver because God loves a heart that's after him right it's always been about your heart always been about your heart God's for it would you stand with me today let's pray as we bring this to a close here's my prayer for you as a pastor if you're here today and the echo of your soul has for so long said, God, it just never feels like enough. I'm praying for you to be set free. I want you to be content. I want you to have the freedom and the joy of a heart that says, God, it's yours. Everything that I have, every breath that I breathe, everything that I do, every ounce of my life, it's been a gift from you. And God, when I give, I want to give back to you in honor of all that you've done. Lord, I want to give with a cheerful heart. What that does is it moves you back to realizing it's his, it's a gift. 
It frees you to be generous, and then there's a freedom that comes with that, and you're able to say, God, what I have in my life, it's good. I'm content. That's what Paul was able to say. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He says that because he says I've learned to be content in all of every single situation. If I've got a lot, if I've got little. If I'm cold, if I'm hot. If I'm naked, if I'm not. If I'm in jail, if I'm not. If I have food, if I'm not. It doesn't matter the situation. I'm content because I realize everything's been given to me by God. But if you buy into the lie of our culture, listen to me till your dying breath and it doesn't matter if you are a billionaire it doesn't matter if you're Jeff Bezos with over 197 billion dollars in your bank account it will never be enough I want to free you I want to see you freed as your pastor so let's pray Father we come before you God I pray that today you would bring freedom in this house God I pray that today we would realize that every good and perfect gift has come from you. God, I pray that in this place, we would realize you're after our heart because you love us so much. Lord, I'm so excited for what you're doing in this church and what you're going to do in the future. Lord, I'm excited for next week as we talk about the beauty of the community of God gathering together and, Lord, how we're supposed to love each other, forgive each other, we're supposed to treat each other with care and, and speak encouragement and spur each other on to good works. God, I'm so excited for the week after that as we look at the fact that we're on mission to a world that, Lord, we have a message that's worth living for and worth dying for. But God, I pray that today you would grab our hearts and that you would speak to us, Jesus, and that you would challenge us because it has always been about our heart. Lord, would you move in us? We give you honor. We give you praise. In your son's precious name. Amen. Amen.